Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Kirk Austin for part one of their discussion on understanding attachment within the complex care and intervention model. Part two will be released on Tuesday, August 4th. Hey, everybody. It's Karen Doyle Buckwalter, host of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast from here at the Knowledge Center at Shadok. And I'm very happy to be back with you again today for another podcast episode. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Kirk Austin, and Dr. Austin is a registered clinical counselor in the province of British Columbia, Canada. He's actively involved in training foster parents, psychotherapists, social workers, and educators in the effective use of complex care and intervention model. model. So it's called CCI, Complex Care and Intervention Model, is uh, what they are using Um, where he works in terms of working with kids and families. He received his undergraduate degree in psychology from Trinity Western University before completing his MA in counseling psychology at Liberty University. And prior to earning his doctorate in the field of positive psychology at the University of South Africa, he completed a diploma in adult education at Vancouver Community College. He currently works in a psychosocial oncology at the BC Cancer Agency Center and is on the adjunct faculty of, I hope I say this correctly, the Kwantlen Polytechnic University. He's also served as training director of Complex Trauma Resources since 2012. So we're going to be talking to Dr. Austin about their really wonderful, comprehensive approach to working with child trauma and attachment issues. And I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. And so I will be back in just a sec uh, to begin the interview with Dr. Austin. Thanks all you listeners out there for being here. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joining Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on September 24th and 25th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is open now. For more information or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. Well, here we are with Dr. Austin today. Dr. Austin, thank you so much for joining us on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Mm, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, sometimes um, I've said before, the intersection of um, trauma and attachment is so important because sometimes it feels like they're 
they're in parallel universes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the people that really do heavy research on attachment are going to totally different conferences, totally yeah. different things. And then uh, people that are focusing on trauma are in this other world. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's such a strong intersection. So that's one of the things that made me excited about your work is how you're looking, you know, at both of these things very carefully. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you came to this work. I shared with listeners some of your educational background, but uh, sometimes I say, you know, what's your, that's your formal biography. Okay. We get all that. What, what, tell us about you and why you're doing this work. Well, I, um, I, I started right out of my bachelor's degree in psychology. I thought it was fully equipped to take on uh, all things related to psychology and counseling. And I worked for an agency that worked with um, really um, highly dysregulated young men. And uh, I found myself severely outgunned. Um, these young men. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> super, super avoidant. And they would do all kinds of really crazy behavior to keep you away. And uh, I found myself, um, you know, after you know, a couple of years in the, in the industry thinking, I need more education. And uh, at the time, back in the 90s, attachment was kind of the, the new thing. And so I did a bit of research on that and thought that that would be the thing that I needed and continued on with more and more education to get more equipped to work with the kids that we work with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, where I work at Chaddock in Quincy, Illinois, we have a residential treatment facility. So we, we have worked with many, you know, older adolescent males and, um, you know, adolescents that are big and strong and, um, you know, it, it, it can be the level of dysregulation that they have is similar to that of maybe a toddler at times, Absolutely. but yet they're in this bigger body where they can really hurt themselves and other mm-hmm. people and destroy places. And, um, so, you know, I definitely know, um, that, that feeling of thinking, okay, I, I, I need some more tools here. Like Absolutely. this is, this is yeah. not, not what's in my tool chest isn't quite cutting it here uh, yeah. and the stakes are high. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and so eventually now you, you, you have gone on and, and you started this clinic and you have this like very comprehensive way yeah. of assessing kids and families that you're working with based on, um, a variety of things, but uh, a, a foundational aspect is the seven domains of complex trauma as yes. defined in the, in the NCTS and white paper. And we yeah. know many people are talking about aspects of this, Bessel van der Kolk with the developmental trauma disorder, yeah. uh, diagnosis paradigm and Bruce Perry. So, you know, tell us just a little bit about your center and this work that you're doing. It seems very comprehensive. Okay. Well, let me, let me just talk wide angle um, at first. So we, um, I'm, I, we, I live on the west side of Canada uh, in, in a province called British Columbia. It's just above Washington, about three hours from, uh, from Seattle. And what we've done since 2009 is we've worked with uh, some of the worst of the worst kids around the province. And when I say worst, what I'm really saying is these kids are um, they're, they're cared for by the province itself. They come from really difficult backstories. Karen Purvis, <clears throat> Karen Purvis would say that they, they, um, 
come from hard places. And so as a result of that, their behavior is really extreme. And so much so that quite often if a child, uh, let's say 10, uh, is hypersexualized or hyperviolent, they require 24-7 um, care uh, with a two-to-one staff ratio. And so the province came to us and was asking if there was something that we could do to try to lower the behavior uh, and get these kids to actually um, de-escalate. And so what we started to do back in 2009 is work with some of these really great ideas that were coming out of the trauma um, psychology world, and we started to apply them. And what we found was this incredible um, shift with kids in a very short amount of time if we focused on a couple of key areas, one of them being attachment. Yes. And so if we, if we were able to lower their stress and arousal, if we were able to, um, to communicate value in terms of their identity, and if we really focused on safe, predictable adult relationships, we found that within six months, these kids would be having significantly less frequency, intensity, and duration of their uh, identified behaviors. Yes. And so the province has just continued to um, ask us to do more. And so we, we're, we're around the province with our uh, team of clinicians, and we've started to do training and development with uh, school systems and um, because everybody experiences these kids in some way or another in their, in their little uh, subfield and community. And so the ideas we find are really applicable in any, any environment. So it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I imagine this is similar to, to what we, a cycle we have in the United States where a lot of times these kids end up, you know, going from placement to placement yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. and um, maybe getting inpatient psychiatric hospitalizations. That's something we do a lot here in the U.S., which really mm -hmm. translates to we'll mess around with our meds a little. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that that's really about what happens. Yeah. There's not much more that it's yeah. sort of a holding ground um, and uh, a safe place if there's suicidal yeah. ideation or something like that. But um, and then just kind of bouncing around in these high level yeah. systems that yeah. are not really um, impacting um, the kids in a, in, in a positive way, really, at all. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, it's sometimes reinforcing a lot of the trauma and feelings of hopelessness. And I'm, I'm just a very bad, broken person that no one Oh, absolutely. Help. Yeah, I mean, if you have a child that bounces around, like if you have 10 placements yes. in, in the space of a couple of years, how do you create predictable relationships? Right. And, um, so what we, what we do is um, we work with the whole system. So a child would be identified uh, as um, problematic and we would say, yes, we're willing to, to work alongside. And so what we do is we get every stakeholder in the same room. And so, I you love know, that. I saw that, you know, in some of the mm -hmm. write-up that you send me. And that's so crucial. And I'm, I'm eager to hear how you do that because that's no easy task. Oh, it's not. It's not. But it, it, the people who are really motivated tend to be either the foster parent uh, or the, the system that they're living in, the educators, 
So you'll have um, educational assistants or the school psychologist, uh, primary uh, teachers. Uh, we might get a psychologist in the room if they have the time. Um, we will have the psychiatrists uh, uh, call into the phone if they have the time to do that. And all we do is we say, let's, let's agree that we need to look at this child the same way because the educator is looking at the behavior and they're thinking through policy. A policy will say, I can't have a violent kid, they can't be at school. The psychiatrist will think through diagnosis and medication. Uh, the foster parent may be thinking about consequences. And so what we'll do is we'll say, let's look at this child through the seven trauma domains. And so we use this funky little acronym. So I live in a, a province called British Columbia, and we nickname it BC. And so the acronym is no one eats apples in BC. And so it's a quick hook. And this is part of my uh, adult education background. You give someone something that they can hold on to, they'll use it. And so the N stands for neurologic, neurological and biological maturity. Uh, and that's basically how has trauma impacted brain and body. The overreactive stress response is how does their physiology hold their stress? And so kids are typically keyed up as a result of their lack of trust of adults or frequent moves. The A um, or the E is uh, emotional regulation. Do they understand the languaging of emotions um, or are they just raw feelings? That's a John Gottmanism from uh, University of Seattle. Uh, do they sit in their raw fields or do they have language? The A is attachment, where we have to understand how do they attach and how do they keep themselves detached? Um, the I is their identity. What do they believe about themselves? It's shame, it's self-esteem. Uh, B, behavioral regulation, and C is cognitive and language. And so at the very front end, we, we ask questions of where does the child have strength? Where does the child have lags? And we have the team of people in the room um, all informing that process because their experience of the child is really important to get a full understanding of how we want to proceed together. At the end of all of that, we do a formal assessment called a functional developmental assessment, which gives us a kind of a picture of where the child um, needs support and where they do and what we can leverage um, in terms of their strength. So if they're really good with their fine motor skills, for instance, they may be quite artistic or really good with Lego. Well, we can use that in an attachment based way to build healthy and safe and predictable relationships so that the child actually could do better. Yes. Following the assessment, uh, we'll say, what are the strategies we want to focus on um, for the next six months? And typically, we have a triad that we think of. One of them is their stress response. So the O is the overreactive stress response. And we think about how can we get them more calm? So typically, it's bedtime routines and rituals. It might be tight tuck-in, a weighted blanket. It could be uh, creating a, you know, a cardboard box fort where they feel that they're safe and calm. So we'll focus on the stress response, but then we'll piggyback that with attachment. And attachment is we're thinking through the lens of what would be, what does safety look like for, for a small child? 
and safety would be those kinds of relationships that are that are predictable and rhythmic and the child knows that today you're going to be the same as you were yesterday as last week and if you're not invasive if you're not violating the child calms with that adult uh, or within that system like a school a school classroom and then the third one is identity and those are the messages that we need to communicate you have value you matter and we find the different ways to do that and the long and short is once we have those strategies in place everybody that sits around the table agrees they'll do their part uh, for the following month and we'll get together on a monthly basis and review and course correct if we need to do that and then at six months we reassess we redo that assessment and um, across the board we've worked with hundreds of kids around our province and um, probably I'd say 98% of our kids have a positive shift in one of the seven or many of the seven areas that we're assessing. And that gives the, the whole system uh, incredible hope because the child is changing in a, in a way that's positive. So it, it's really fun work because it's evidence-based and it's, it's theory-driven. Yeah, you know, a lot of things that you brought up, um, I was just noting as you were speaking, you know, even from the very beginning when you were saying, you know, we all have to kind of look at the child in a similar way and agree in the same way. Um, you know, what I have found often is um, even the language people use about the kids, the way an educator yeah. thinks and speaks about a child and, and as opposed to a physician, um, as opposed to a therapist, as opposed to a foster parent. And so, you know, I think there's this piece where we have to sometimes have different language to engage different people because a teacher's yes. pain point with a child is different than a foster parent's pain point. Yeah. If, if we, if we want to use that language of how, how you get people engaged. And, um, but I, I like what you're saying too, but, but, but in the end, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we all have to kind of have some agreement on, yes. on what, what is going on here and what is some, what are some of the best ways to respond yeah. and react to this? Yes. Yes. So we have, um, for instance, like behavior is the, the low hanging fruit here. It's the thing that gets the kid identified and referred in and it's what everybody wants to change first. And what we'll say at the beginning of our process is behavior will change, <clears throat> but behavior is communication. So let's right. look at what it's communicating. Right. And then what we'll do is we'll say it will change but it will change last if we deal with the architecture of human development um, first. And so a pain point, for instance, that would be common would be, let's say, a 10-year-old child that, um, that urinates in their pants at school. Well, the teacher's experience and their language may be, oh, they're just manipulating. Right. That's a, uh, that's a just, com common word. You, yeah. people, you mean people in Canada say that about kids yeah. we work with? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've had kids that defecate and urinate, and, and the perception of the adults is that a 10-year-old shouldn't be doing that. Therefore, their behavior is communicating defiance or um, they're trying to push people away or they're trying to get something. And what we'll say is, well, hang on. What if that, that sensory cue was never switched on? 
So when the child is supposed to be being potty trained, what if their sensation of needing to urinate never translated into someone showing them what that means and, and how to avoid their bladder? Well, then it, then it becomes a different interpretation. Right. Because if an adult then goes, oh, what if they're just not developmentally um, at age level? Well, then they'd see it maybe as not being as manipulative. Right. You know, and, and one of the, the things that we talk about a lot at Chadock and um, in, in the things I've written about is how the need to look at the child's developmental age and not yes. their chronological age. And it's just when you see a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old, you know, right there in front of you, in front yes. of your eyes, <clears throat> and you're maybe somewhat frustrated, it's really hard to hang on to that concept. Oh, yeah. You know, yes, so it I is. think we need to really be bringing that up over and over and trying to reinforce that while at the same time having empathy for the fact that, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, giving that explanation doesn't mean this is any easier or any less gross or, you know, um, but needing to support folks in maintaining that stance. So easy to lose that stance when when you see this bigger kid in front of you. Yeah. So, well, one of the questions we'll ask people is what age does that behavior look like? And so if you have a 12-year-old and they're throwing a tantrum, uh, most people will go, oh, well, they're acting like a toddler. And then you have a launch point. You can say, okay, well, what if their emotional regulation just hasn't ever matured to that level? So what would we need to do to help them? And that, that slight reframe is just something that helps the whole team of people look at the child differently. And then you come up with creative ways of addressing the behavior. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I also, um, you know, really like what you're talking about in terms of assistance a systematic way of looking at not only assessment, but a systematic way of looking at progress. Honestly, I mean, that seems like, duh, of course you should Uh be doing that. But a lot of times I know in the United States, we design these treatment plans to get insurance to pay and we have these goals and, and, but they're not, or, or even in educational settings, you know, we want to reduce the child doing this by 5% or 20%. And right. it just sometimes feels like so behavioral and we're like missing the whole boat here. Right. As you were saying earlier with not looking under the behavior, the behavior is just a symptom. The behavior is just communication. I, you know, I'm, I often say, eliminating the behavior is sort of like sniffing off the top of a dandelion. If we don't get to the root, it just comes back, you know? And so I, I love how you're looking at those seven domains. Um, and like you're consistently looking at that, you know, to start out with, with assessment and then coming back to that because, you know, not just coming back to, ODD or, or some, you know, some, you're, you're, you're looking at it really comprehensively and, mm-hmm. you know, we're running out of time here for part one of our discussion, but if, if you wanted to say a little bit about those domains um, before we wrap up where we'll talk more in depth about those and specifically attachment in the next mm-hmm. part of the podcast. Okay. Well, I like your, your word picture of the dandelion um, because it's, it's, um, I mean, it, it's, 
it's a great picture that summarizes what we try to do, the business as usual approach, cut off, cut off the behavior and everything will change. Right. And quite often we'll have behaviorists involved in our, in our process and their focus wants to be on uh, changing a behavior, rewards, punishments, those sorts, types of things, the token economy systems. Um, but what we'll do is we'll say, well, let's just take a slight step back and say, yes, we'll continue to do those things, but let's also try to target attachment. Because if we can build healthy, safe, predictable relationships, um, eventually the behavioral stuff, will it'll have a, a deeper effect because right. they'll trust the adults that are trying to do the, um, to do the supporting yeah, yeah. I mean, that's such a good point because if I don't care about this relationship and I don't care about you and I have no investment or motivation to please you because of my relational connection to you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or uh, the other thing with behavioral systems with many of the kids that we've worked with, you know, I've been beaten and locked in closets and not fed, you know, for days. So if you really think that me not going to the movie tomorrow is going to really make that much <laughs> Right. Difference, you know, yeah. so it's very different motivation systems. But yeah, um, yeah so you're really uh, great. I think this is a great stopping point as we mm. as we go into um, talking about the domains and specifically attachment more. So yeah. listeners, we will be back next week with part two of this with uh, Dr. Austin um, talking about seven domains of complex trauma, assessment programs and attachment. So thank you for the conversation so far. Thank you so much for having me. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Dr. Kirk Austin on understanding attachment within the complex care and intervention model. Part two will be released on Tuesday, August 4th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attention.